Welcome to Talk About Talk with Dr. Andrea. In this podcast, we will learn about all things communication. Listen as Dr. Andrea and the experts she interviews share their expertise. Let's do this. Let's talk about talk. Welcome to Talk About Talk. I'm Dr. Andrea Wojnicki. You can call me Andrea. Today, we are talking about consumer ratings and reviews. But before I get started, I want to mention two quick things. Consistent with Talk About Talk's mission as a learning platform, in addition to podcasts, there are two other easy ways that you can learn more about how to be an effective communicator. First, you can find the show notes for this and all the other episodes on the Talk About Talk website under the podcast tab. There you will find not just the interview transcript, but also references, links, and supplemental information. Second, I hope you will sign up for the Talk About Talk weekly newsletter. Just go to talkabouttalk.com to sign up. Every week, you will receive one concise email from me with engaging information about how we can all become better communicators. I always include links to suggested websites where you can go to for more information, stuff that I find on social media, quotes worth thinking and talking about, and more. Okay, in this podcast episode, we learn how to write effective reviews and, perhaps more importantly, how to do research online when we are making purchase decisions. This topic is particularly important to me, since I consider myself to be not just a marketer, but also a consumer advocate. For this episode, I interviewed Nancy Peterson, the founder and CEO of Homestars, who shares many of her insights. And by the way, no, it's not just a matter of looking for which product has the most perfect 5 out of 5 reviews. There's a lot more to it. There's also a lot at stake in the world of online commerce. Every year, a higher proportion of marketplace transactions take place online. As consumers, we write and read online ratings and reviews as a way of sharing our personal judgments of products and services. We get to be heard, and we also benefit from learning from others. Businesses also benefit. Of course, those with positive reviews can see their businesses grow. A few academic papers that I found demonstrate that the effects of these online reviews particularly affect lesser-known businesses. So, yes... If you review Talk About Talk on Apple Podcasts or wherever you're listening to this, it would help me immensely in terms of exposure, particularly since Talk About Talk is a relatively new podcast. Further evidence of the proliferation and impact of online reviews are the many websites that exist as hubs for reviews. There is homestars.com, which we will hear more about in a minute from Nancy Peterson. There's also Yelp, TripAdvisor, Hotels.com, and many, many, many more. There are even websites such as BizarreVoice.com and TrustPilot.com that aggregate reviews across categories for consumers to access and for businesses to promote themselves. So now, online reviews are being even further amplified. Here's a question. How do you write an effective review? Whether you want to reward a firm for exceeding your expectations, or maybe you're about seeking revenge, here are some pointers that I can share. If you want to make sure that your review has an impact, you want people to perceive it as credible. How do you do that? First, do multiple reviews. If you only have one review on a website, you are much less credible than someone who has five or ten. Personally, beyond that, I start to question whether I have anything in common with the person. Secondly, leave some personal identifying information in your review, such as maybe your geographical location 
or the date of the transaction. Nothing too personal, but research shows that reviews with more specific information are trusted more. Next, don't be afraid to use the scale. Nancy Peterson says that 90% of the ratings on Homestars.com are at the very top or the very bottom of the scale. In reality, most of the businesses are probably in the middle, right? And when writing a review, whether glowing or not, try to include at least one positive and one negative comment. Yes, that makes it more believable. I do have some specific advice about writing negative reviews. Maybe you're feeling vengeful, like we all have, unfortunately, as consumers when we feel ripped off. Here's my advice. Use the 24-hour rule. Cool off. Maybe write a draft of the review if you want to blow off some steam, but edit it after you've cooled down. Don't send it until after you've cooled off. Two reasons for this. First of all, a ranting consumer will not be believed. If you're taking the time to provide a negative review or any review, you probably want it to be trusted. Second, you should be aware of defamation law, which protects the reputations of individuals and companies against defamation. Certainly, you are entitled to write a negative review if you've purchased a product or service and had a poor experience, as long as it is an honest expression of opinion and free of malice. So use the 24-hour rule and ensure that your comments are based on tangible evidence only, not subjective accusations. Got it? Okay, moving on. How can we assess online ratings and reviews to help us in our own purchase decisions? There are other factors to look out for to make sure what we are reading is relevant and trustworthy. Unfortunately, there are many fraudsters. We're talking companies with bots or companies that hire kids to write fake reviews. We are talking fake news. According to consumer advocates and auditors like FakeSpot and ReviewMeta, more than half of the reviews for certain products are questionable. Amazon, on the other hand, estimates that less than 1% of its reviews are inauthentic. It is in Amazon's best interest to ensure that the reviews on its website are real. Nancy Peterson at Homestars spends much of her time and effort on ensuring the reviews on Homestars are real. Amazon says it looks for suspicious patterns of behavior that might indicate a paid or incentivized review. In the past three years, Amazon has sued more than 1,000 sellers for buying reviews. But don't lose hope. There are some things you can do to help ensure that the ratings and reviews that you're reading are more likely to be real and valid for you. First, don't just assume that quantities of reviews tell the whole story. Of course, there needs to be enough such that the average and distribution are statistically significant and meaningful, but more is not always better. Second, if it seems too good to be true, it probably is. A product with all 5 out of 5 ratings might be suspect. Another thing to look out for is batching or the timing of reviews. Reviews that all happen in a short period of time may be suspicious. And speaking of timing, and especially if you're looking for a service, filter to the most recent reviews first. Nancy Peterson highlights this point. People are human. They can get better or worse over time. What you care about is how has this service been performed recently? If you're wondering about a specific reviewer or a specific review that you're reading, there are a few things you can consider. The same things as the things I listed above in terms of being trusted apply here. Ideally, the reviewer will have more than a few reviews, but not hundreds. They will be specific and they will mention both positive and negative attributes. Next, when you start to narrow down your options, I always read the low rated reviews in detail. 
I want to see if there's a trend in other consumers' dissatisfaction. Sometimes it might be something that you don't care about, or it might even be the most important product attribute. So say you're looking for a carpet for your back door. You might not really care whether it looks cheap, but if you're looking for a carpet for your living room, that might matter a lot. And speaking of negative reviews, I would look at a company's responses to negative reviews. If they care, and if they are reasonable, this will show up in their responses. They might also realize that this is a huge opportunity for them. There is academic research showing that when good brands do bad, they can turn around consumers' dissatisfaction to be even more positive than it was before the transgression. Imagine the word of mouth, the story that a consumer would have. They were so angry about a product that they left a negative review. The company then made it right. What a great storytelling opportunity for both the consumer and for the brand. My last piece of advice is that you check multiple sources for ratings and reviews. There are category-specific review sites like PC Magazine, Supplement Reviews, CNET.com. There are also more and more general review websites like TheWireCutter.com or GoodOldConsumerReports.org. One very cool website that I learned about is called ReviewMeta.com. They use an algorithm that includes many of the pointers that I just listed in order to identify whether reviews are trustworthy. If you go to reviewmeta.com and copy and paste a URL of an online review, say from Amazon or another website, it applies its algorithm and then tells you whether the reviews for that product are a pass, that is trustworthy, or a warning, the reviews may be suspect, or fail, unnatural reviews detected. This is a wonderful example of a consumer need being fulfilled. Very cool, right? Okay, time for me to introduce Nancy Peterson. Nancy graduated from Western University, then earned her international MBA from Rotterdam School of Management at Erasmus University. She worked at Procter & Gamble, then Kraft Foods in Marketing, which is where I met her. When Nancy was on mat leave from Kraft, she decided to embark on a major home reno. The rest, as they say, is history or in this case, her story. Homestars is now the leading online marketplace connecting homeowners and home improvement companies across Canada. It has raised the bar on accountability, integrity, and transparency in the home improvement industry. For the past several years, Homestars has been on both the Chatelaine W100 list and the Profit 500 list of Canada's fastest growing companies. In 2016, Homestars was acquired and is now a member of the Angie Home Services group of companies. Nancy remains at the helm of Homestars, while she also represents Canada as a member of the Global ISO Committee, which creates standards for online consumer reviews that will improve the quality of reviews and protect consumers against fraudulent practices. Nancy is also an outspoken leader and mentor on issues including women in technology, entrepreneurship, hiring, and small business. Welcome, Nancy. Thank you so much for agreeing to do this interview. Oh, I'm excited to be here. Me too. Okay. I have, I guess, an elementary question to ask first. Do you have any tips for consumers when they are writing reviews? Okay. How about the first tip? Write it. <laughs> Dead serious. People think they're going to write one. They're really upset about something uh, or they just had the best experience ever and they really want to thank the uh, service or the retailer or whatever 
And guess what? Life gets in the way, the distractions, and we just don't get to it. Right. And so the biggest challenge I had when I started Homestars was really just how to trigger those, make it so easy for people to express themselves. And it's still word of mouth is, is still king and queen. And the whole point of reviews is to share your experiences, the great and the absolute crappy with uh, more people. And people just don't make the time. Yeah, I know from personal experience. So now imagine that someone had either been very positive or a very negative experience with a contractor or a painter or a landscaper. What, what makes for a good review? People love to read stories and it makes it way more authentic if you're, particularly if you've spent quite a bit of time and money with this uh, pro. Right. So put yourself in the audience's shoes. What would they find the most useful uh, about, you know, your experience and what you valued in the work being done? So what about including, for example, all positive things or all negative things? People are are, uh, cautious about writing negative. 90% of our reviews are either tens or zeros. People are loath to put sevens or fives on there. A, take the time, or B, just they don't want to uh, undermine a contractor because they they know how important uh, referrals are for their business. Right. That's why I say even really interesting because from my perspective, my research on word of mouth, people are more likely to talk when it was extremely positive or extremely negative. But if it's in the middle, it goes way down and it goes, it's amplified, um, according to this research on the negative side. So on your website though, it's the people, maybe they're thinking that the not quite 10 out of 10s are going to hurt people that they don't really feel like they want to hurt them unless it's really horrible, in which case they're going to give them a one, right? Correct. Yeah. Interesting. And uh, we set up the ability for people to uh, anonymize their online name because rather than make up a name and a location, because it's going to locate you, you know, Nancy in North York, right? it'll just say anonymous user. We'll have their email, obviously, to be able to to verify and reach out to them and they can publish something that's negative without uh, fear of repercussion. Well, I have been in all the situations that you're mentioning, right? Like where I've had a mediocre experience and I wouldn't waste my time writing anything, but I will write complaint letters. I will write negative reviews. I'll write incredibly positive reviews. And recently on Amazon, when I was buying things, they prompt you to, to how many stars would you give this? How many stars would you give this? And I, I think I had something that I was thrilled with and I I felt like I wanted to reward the seller or the manufacturer so I gave it a five out of five and then something that was horrible and then I was like isn't that interesting that I'm on both sides of the scale only and then there was a Kleenex box that I bought that was cute but I gave it a four out of five stars and then it says what what do you have to say and I said it's great it's a good price but it's just a Kleenex so back to the initial piece is just people don't have time and so uh that's I think why you get the extreme in reviews and Uh, and so few people taking the time to write them in the first place. So how do you inspire, as a company whose business is built on customer ratings, how do you inspire people to do that? 
through our marketing programs, we have newsletters and our automated transactional emails, you know, that just get sent just because they've been uh, uh, contacting uh, a contractor, yep. you know, through the um, messaging, we'll ask them to rate the contractor. And uh, organically, when we're, we're doing trade shows, that kind of thing, that's how we started. We were in home shows asking homeowners to go on the site. We'd have kiosks set up so they could write mm. the reviews right then and there. Amazing. That uh, those were the you know the early days. Yeah. Of, of well, you, you needed to populate your website with reviews, right? And you know the biggest fear they had is how do you make sure that they're not fake reviews? Right. We're going to get into that. That's a that's a scary thing for you, for the viability Absolutely. of your business, for the contractors themselves, assuming they're not the ones doing it right. For consumers who don't know what to believe, that's a that's yeah. a big thing to unpack there. Do you encourage the contractors and other service providers that um, that are indexed on HomeStars to ask for reviews? Yes, we yeah. do. I would imagine that that would be incredibly effective. It is. We've created ways that make it really simple for the the contractor to ask when you know they're leaving the job site. So I have had service providers who I've hired through HomeStars leave and on their way out, they don't ask me to write a review. And I've actually told them, you should be asking me to write a review because I just thanked you profusely. I'm low hanging fruit for you. They're just the same, you know, they're just people. That's the biggest mistake consumers make is that they just think that they're not human, you know? And yeah. so like the relationship, the, diff the most difficult part about bringing somebody into your home to do work is, is that relationship. It's, there's a lot of trust. That's true. I hadn't actually thought of that. I, I guess, especially when they literally come in the front door. We have a videotape <laughs> of a homeowner. This is hysterical who had a camera on their front porch and signed up for a lawn service where the guy pulled up in their van, got out and did like a two minute and then sat in there for half an hour and then writing up the bill. It was obviously they were working for a big company, so they were just on the clock, and then shoved their $100 bill in the, in the door slot, and they had that all on camera. Awesome. It was so funny. That is a, awesome. We were trying to find ways of exploiting that one because it was just like hysterical, you know? That's that was very like the funny. two minute. These guys know. should know that there's cameras everywhere, right? Before we move on, I'm just wondering if there are any trends in ratings and reviews that you notice in terms of any dimension. So it could be gender, it could be how much the service typically costs. So do people write more when it costs more? Well, I can tell you some. Uh, the categories with the largest percentage of fraudulently submitted reviews are demolition locksmiths. What? Yep. Categories with the lowest percentage of 10 star reviews are uh, hardware stores. We know who they are. They just probably just, you know, uh, it's tough to get those 10s. Yeah. Garden centers <laughs> fall in there. Snow removal. Because there's always one time in the year when you stepped out and there was snow on your face. That's right. And those snow removal guys, some of them are pretty uh, aggressive, <laughs> you know, and uh, you don't want to get on the wrong side of some of them. Some of them. We've had some odd situations internally with uh, threats from snow removal guys. They got really? to remove us. Yeah. You know, we have a customer uh, support team and yeah, so... 
I mean, it's not, it's just, it's just a couple of stories. You have all sorts of stories and your learning curve was probably vertical when you went into this. I guess the biggest surprise in the early days was you'd have a company that the husband and wife would come in to the office and boldface lie to us that none of the reviews were fake when we'd had an anonymous tip and they had used some very clever ways of hiring students and going to internet cafes and all the rest of it. Uh, so we had this anonymous tip. That's and so, a lot of effort. Why don't you just put the effort into actually doing the job right? You might uh, have those conversations and they came in to tell us and fall on their sword that all their reviews were legitimate. And that was disappointing because they were a nice couple and you know, wow. you just thought, why are you going to all this elaborate effort? So that was disappointing. And that's when I just realized that anybody can lie. So you just have to not, you just take yourself um, subjectively. Number one, I've said this right from the beginning, is we're here for homeowners, we're here to support them. And then in addition, we're here to support the best companies. Right. The best. So there has to be so, a hierarchy there, but that makes sense because if you are first and foremost holding the homeowners up at the highest level of the hierarchy, they're going to be dependent upon you to identify the top service providers, right? So yeah. they're, they're a close second. And we have to always be willing to fire contractors. In other words, not advertise them. We have You're to, foregoing revenue. We have to. Right. We have to be able to fire contractors. And so what we created was a, a star score algorithm about four or five years ago. And there's a backstory to how that kind of came to be. So you're hiring programmers to help you solve this? When you look at uh, the average rating system for most websites, it, it basically takes any review ever uh, published, right? Whether it's a five, five uh, out of five or yep. out of 10 or out of 100, like Rotten Tomatoes, and then how many reviews they've gotten over the, you know, whether it's one year or 10 years yep. and then dividing it by the denominator. That's a very simplistic uh, rating system. And what would happen is a company could do, be doing really great work. And then what if they fell off the, um, the apple cart and stopped doing really great work, how they've got an average rating that's really, really high but then their recent reviews are low. And that actually happened to us. I'm sure. And the company uh, that, that uh, was historically good and then, and then recently wasn't good, ended up taking money from homeowners and uh, taking off with that money. So we needed to rethink how we showed our rating system because mm -hmm. not everybody's gonna go and research and read the reviews, even though those reviews were at the top of their listing. Mm -hmm. So does Amazon, for example, do what you were saying at the beginning, which is the number of stars on average, and then in brackets, it's the number of reviews that they've had, and it's just the I'm average? I'm not sure if they've changed over time. I mean, yeah. they're, they've gone through so much yeah. to try to reduce fraud because they're a closed system, because you have to as be a buyer to uh, purchase something to go and rate it. Right. They've got a closed rating system, right. so by virtue of that, they're safeguards. However, they, they've got into some fraud where uh, companies would go and reach out to you, Andrea, the buyer, and say, hey, we're going to give you this at a severe discount or give it to you for free if you rate us. I've heard that, yeah. And so they got into a whole bunch of hot water over that. Because yeah, they, they I didn't, heard they in their marketplace in particular, they were, they were hiring kids, not Amazon, but another company would ship a product to a kid, like a teenager, who would open the box and maybe keep it as a gift 
or return it or whatever, however the system worked, and then write a review, and that was, and then they get payment. So every uh, every system has its uh, whole loopholes, and so everybody will get more and more clever about the faking it because. But this 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 star rating um, uh, system, star score that we launched, allowed us to use other data points. Uh, so. It's not just the published reviews, it's the ones where you wrote a, a review, whether it's a 7 or a 3 or a 0, and a company's asking you to remove it. If we see patterns that way, and, and companies know this, where they're, they're harassing you to remove the review or bribing you to remove the review, however they're doing it, and you remove the review, their score drops uh, automatically. It's not us doing anything. It's just our algorithm will just start to uh, denigrate their score. How can I, as a consumer, whether I'm checking out a restaurant or a hotel on TripAdvisor or a new someone to paint my house on Homestars, which I badly need, <laughs> how can I tell whether a typically glowing review is credible? So... I love this. If you're reading some reviews, whether it's the, the company has five reviews or 500, go and pick three or four reviews that you think are really interesting. And perhaps in your area, ask the company uh, that you want to reach out to those specific uh, consumers, homeowners, and call them. Because if they are uh, really true to their work, they, they would be, those, those consumers would be happy to talk about yeah. it. If it's also a big job, yeah, like I if agree. you're spending yeah. 10, 15, yeah. $20,000 of your money, I'm sorry. Like on the other end, if um, the contractor called me, I know you wrote that review, but somebody wants to ask you more about it, I would say for sure. Yeah. I just love the idea that the, the consumer is taking that next step to say, hey, I'm going to uh, reach out to that person. And any contractor worth their salt is going to be able to have uh, a handful of consumers that they feel comfortable yeah. with. It's almost like taking the effort to write a review, though. It's like we're all so busy. And I, yeah, I've been in situations where people have said, I've got full referrals and they'll kind of show you quickly. Briefly, they'll show you. So... What you're recommending makes a lot of sense for larger purchases, but for something small, I'm just wondering, have, are you guys privy to any trends either in patterns of ratings or in how reviews are written, the verbal part, if there's anything that is a tip off that this is, you know. Oh yes. yeah. I mean, there's now linguistic uh, patterns that can be um, tracked and okay. used uh, to see patterns um, that, are, that are repetitive. But even somebody reading a whole bunch of reviews <laughs> as they're doing their research can would be able to see that as well. Okay. Because um, some kid in the, the same, coffee shop rate, is writing the same yeah, thing. Yeah, writing the same thing in a different way. Huh. That's why we, we, we also show how many reviews have this person also written. So you can go re read their other reviews as yeah. well and see what, what type of comments they're making and uh, what other work they've done. Are they always 10 out of 10 or are they giving a variety of reviews? Yeah, and, and, and what they're saying on those other reviews. So somebody has to go through a lot of work to go and create a big profile and then go and, and we automate randomly. So every X reviews on, on a, a company's profile and, and ask the consumer huh. to validate that they've, per, they've hired yep. that contractor. 
we don't store that information. It's just it's just a way for us to validate that right. they actually hired the company. Right. Oh, that's that's excellent. So that was one of my questions. How does Homestars vet? You know, and there's more data capture ways that we're looking at in the future. But uh, we so we outright reject. Uh, I don't know something as high as fifteen percent, thirteen to fifteen percent before it even hits the moderator. Uh, so it'll go through either a verification will will ask somebody to send us something or it's outright um, and so there's things though like profanity it's just, just outright rejected contractor accounts they've already signed up for their account they're writing reviews on their own <coughs> sometimes they're just doing it to test the system and that's a good thing so they're like oh this is good I trust Homestars is not posting fake huh. crap so huh. that's a plus for them just don't keep doing it and, yeah uh, okay yeah stop because we caught you now just stop that What's the best way for a company or a contractor or whoever to deal with a negative review? It's always a 24-hour rule for anything because you immediately get upset when you see a negative review and they're human and nobody's perfect. So we say the same thing. Nobody should have 10 out of 10 on everything. It's just impossible. So you have to be open to just receive feedback and accept it. So do you encourage them, though, to reach respond out to, and respond, respond? Yes. Respond to everything. Everything, positive or negative. Positive and negative. If you're a consumer and you were on you have to just And you have to just weigh, like, how, how critical it is. Um, I mean, if you're spending $300 on a face cream, you want to make sure that it's good face cream, as an example. So you want to go to different sources, not just Amazon, but other Idea. beauty sites to corroborate and it's the same with um, hmm. a hotel review, not just TripAdvisor, but Hotels.com and other uh, uh, companies that are, are aggregating data. That's the, a great tip, though. I rarely do that. You know, my, my Yelp, thing that you I know, do. Right. Yelp has, has, has a, uh, a vast database and a breadth. A lot of good things about Yelp. Some people uh, criticize uh, contractors that we work with criticize Yelp. However, I, I think they've done a really great job of trying to protect consumers and uh, maybe to the, at one extreme, they weren't even allowing um, you know, the restaurants to respond to the reviews in oh, the really? early days, but they, they, they fixed that a long time ago and they obviously allow responses. Hmm. And they really penalize companies that, you know, bribe. So you cannot, as a restaurant uh, or t hotel, um, say, we'll give you a, a gift cert if you go um, and so, you know, I, I admire Yelp for that. We're always looking at... It's hard you know, to check those things, but good, good on them. Good right? on them. So I think, it, it, back to your, your, your comment, I mean, when you're spending a, a certain amount of, of, of your hard-earned money and there's, uh, and there's more risk involved in the downside of a bad job, like, like as an example, bringing in a, a, a contractor to fix maybe a leak in your uh, kitchen um, and they open up a wall, it might be a $500 job, but it could end up causing $2,000 worth of damage. Mm -hmm. So it's not just the cost of the job that you're talking about here. Right. There's a ripple effect there sometimes, unfortunately. So as you're mentioning many of the other rating websites that exist in different categories, and some of them are general, I guess. Are there any trends in terms of consumer ratings and reviews? The overall trend in the last five to 10 years is that every single uh, e-commerce platform will have some kind of review platform uh, attached to it. Just because people want to read 
what other people think about products and even Facebook has gotten into reviews. So anyone that's selling anything will show somehow either embedded on their site. Lawyers or... are collecting reviews. Uh, it's transformed every single industry, B2B, B2C. When I first got into this business, you know, in the mid 2000s, it was, I, I want to hear the story. It was so pretty you... much books and movies and travel was just starting. TripAdvisor had just, was just uh, nascent in its growth. Yelp started like two years before Homestars. So now, and it's, it, you know, reviews are everywhere and there are good w websites uh, like Bizarre Voice and Trustpilot that will aggregate reviews mm. for, um, uh, create a widget. So if Nike, I'm using them because they're just a, a shoe that comes to my mind, but if Nike didn't have a, uh, a way to aggregate reviews from their buyers, they would put code on like a Bizarre Voice or Trustpilot and they could get Nike buyers on the checkout to write reviews. And so Nike doesn't have to go and build a specific website and be a, a, a review aggregator. Like that's not their expertise. Right. So there's, there's third party companies that can do that and have all the policies and procedures. And they go direct it. to their customers and then it's aggregated. Fascinating. Yeah. And they have a big enough portfolio that they even want to know what people are saying, right? So it's almost like market research for them at the same time. Correct. Fascinating. Yeah. So huh. you'll see a lot more sites like boutique hotels will ask you for a review at the end. Could you rate us? And then uh, they'll publish that on their own platform. Hmm. Now they can decide not to publish it as well. Right. So, uh, or they could say, hey, Andrea, uh, how would you uh, rate your experience from a, a zero to a 10? And you, you, if it's nine or 10, they'll ask you for a review. And if it's uh, lower, they'll ask you for feedback so right. they can improve and provide So can service. you just share, I should have asked you this at the very beginning, but share the story, how and why you started Homestars? Did you, yeah, you so were managing your own home renovation? I did, I did my own home renovation. It was early 2000, I guess. And, you know, we were working at Craft, and I just kind of went through that process of four or five months of planning and knowing nothing about how to... Uh, uh, and it wasn't, like, that massive. I wasn't building an addition, but it was still replacing windows and furnace and floors and, and uh, a kitchen. And... It was really nerve-wracking in the, in the whole planning. And I kind of went through that and thinking, God, you know, Dave and I were working crazy hours and there was no resources. There was word of mouth and there was the phone book. There was yellow pages or yeah, the phone book. And that's not a way to make decisions on, on who you're going to invest in, right. at, whether it's a general contractor, electrician, or, right. or kitchen cabinet and if you company. Ask the, if you ask your friend next door, that's one data point right? Just in terms of the word of mouth. And most of the time when people spent a lot of money, I know this from some of my word of mouth research, if they spend a lot of money on something, there's cognitive dissonance. They'll report to you that they are thrilled because, well, I better be because I spent $50,000, right? That's what they're thinking. And about. they're forgetting all the, all the nitpicks. Greatest example was a, a friend of mine had a shared driveway with a neighbor and the neighbor uh, recommended a, a, a driveway paving company and it ended up because, because it was the price, right? And so uh, he went online and looked at um, the reviews and they were terrible. So great price, guess what happens two months later? It all falls apart. It sinks or whatever. So yeah. you end up spending three times as much because you need to fix the bad mm. work. Mm. So you hire somebody because of their price, but you're not necessarily getting the quality workmanship. And that's, wow. that's really important. I've seen that with pavers and uh, stone. So, so you had this masons. epiphany though, 
about so, your own personal experience. So it, must, we it took spend, a lot of guts, we though, would, to say. We would spend tens of thousands of dollars in market research to come up with, you know, when our, our product teams and uh, uh, plants and operations uh, coming up with formulas for, you know, cream cheese and the low zero-fat or low-fat cream cheese and, and now for a four ninety nine tub of cream cheese. And yet you're spending... Uh, tens of thousand dollars every year on your home and there was nothing out there. So that's that's what was ruminating through my head and it was on mat leave and that gave me the time to step out of the day-to-day -day work and that's where I, I said to Dave, I said, I really want to do this. You know, I'm at this point in my career where I just feel like it's just a huge need and it would be really fun and exhilarating to start a business. Oh. Would and you say you're a natural entrepreneur? No, I, I don't. I don't think I was. It took huh. me a long time to fill the shoes of an entrepreneur, huh. and there was no resources at the time. Like today, there's tons of resources, yeah. but there weren't weren't meetups, and there weren't regular. Um, there weren't incubators. There wasn't the DMZ. There, and it was also uncomfortable being a female uh, going out and raising money because there was nine out of ten of the, the money uh, was male, or even maybe coming from and going to males, right? Yeah. Yeah, so I ended up uh, bringing on a, a co-founder in title only. He was a very minor uh, stakeholder, but great partner in crime, and he was a search engine marketer and mm. a really uh, still a great friend and, and was really uh, foundational. And it was a lot easier to go and ask money because I had a VC say to me point blank, "You need a you need a co-founder," and you know, and I just think that being a, a female was a detriment. That mm. all the people around the table were were men. The Dropbox guy said that too. Do you remember? He went to get he went for funding, and they said, "Who's your co-founder?" And he was like, "Oh God!" And he went and found. Do you remember that? Yeah. I mean, there is something to be said about a good founding team. That's interesting. Is there anything else you want to add in terms of ratings and reviews? I, I would just tell the audience I'd be suspicious about a company that's been around for a long time and has no reviews on the internet. Doesn't matter on what source: Google, Homestars, any platform at all. That's kind of weird, and doesn't have a website. So if they're a one-person show, maybe that's the reason. You just have to be cautious. And I would also add that reviews aren't the only source of homework. You know, you have to do your homework and make sure that you're checking to make sure that they've got insurance if you're doing a big job. Right. See their insurance and should never give uh, large deposits for work. Why do you need the deposit? Uh, have that breakdown. and be very specific. It should be a very small under, right. you know, the under, materials that you're bringing under in on day 15 one. percent or yeah. whatever, just to get the project going the materials, etc. Hmm. Yeah. So you just want to be, you have your eyes open and always, if, if something it seems off, it's off, like check, check into it. If you're getting funny vibes from a, a company, then just pause. Homeowners aren't perfect either. And they don't have an idea of how much things cost and, um, you get what you pay for. So if something's cheap, then you're, you, might, you, you might get what you pay for. Right. Uh, and, on the, and on the other hand, contractors that aren't managing expectations, like when I'm going to show up, if I've got the time, it's better just to say no to the work than try to please everybody. And Okay, I'm going to move on to the five rapid fire questions. The first question is, what are your pet peeves? I'd say my pet peeve is big egos. So arrogance? Yeah. Uh, I'm, I'd much rather talk to somebody that is as good at listening as they are talking. Right. You're not filling the room with their own story. Second question, what type of learner are you? Visual, auditory, kinesthetic, or...? I, it's, 
I've had to learn all of them. You know, it's always, for me, doing is way better than um, being told what to do. I love to read. So like, for instance, we didn't have a head of sales for a while, so I, I badly filled the role, but I started reading a lot of books mm. and one book in particular, uh, and then had my leadership team read the book. What was the Sales Acceleration Formula, and okay. the head of sales at HubSpot, who was an engineer and handled it very much like an engineering, uh, uh, just breaking down not just the just the objective uh, ways, approaches of really building a, a world-class sales team from zero to a million in sales. So it was great, great uh, reading for all of us just to hone the type of um, hmm. quality. And you could apply it to a completely different industry. Mm -hmm. Yeah, really. So you read and then you discuss, that's how you learn? I love that, getting other people to uh, align because you can't do it yourself. You are very humble, back to the pet peeve thing. You yeah. can tell by the way you're talking. Third question, introvert or extrovert? More extrovert, but I do like my downtime and just you know, just shutting the door and, and uh, going for a walk. Love meeting new people, love learning new things, love travel, and if I'm in a room of people, I'm gonna be talking to them. I'm not surprised, okay. Fourth question, communication preference for a personal conversation. I find people don't call anymore. I get so few phone calls. You get so much bombarded with email. De facto is everybody wants to bloody well copy everybody. And But you know, if you wanted to get a hold of maybe one of your kids or your husband or a friend for social plans, what would you typically use? I would text and then just call to get it done, you know, because hmm. email is just brutal. <laughs> Last question. Is there a podcast or a blog or an email newsletter that you recommend the most? So Tim Ferriss, I've been enjoying that. I don't, He's phenomenal. Yeah, yes. I don't have, I, I haven't, uh, I've been hearing about more and more podcasts, so I'm, I, I feel like I'm just kind of a newbie to the podcast listening, but I love listening to podcasts if I go for a run, I'm, actually, I'm working out uh, in the car. It's great. It is great in the car. And audiobooks. I love audiobooks. Drive by Daniel Pink. I just uh, listened to. Amazing book. Okay, so how can um, Talk About Talk listeners connect with you? So maybe they want to work for you, or maybe they want to sign their company up for Homestars. How can they connect with you? Uh, LinkedIn is great. Okay. Uh, Twitter. Uh, don't go on there as much, but... Yeah, okay. I will put um, the links for those social media connections on uh, the show notes. Thank you so much for sharing your time and your expertise, mm. Nancy. It's great seeing you again. Yes. I was excited to see you. Me too. And I'm so honored that you took time, time out of your crazy, crazy schedule. Well, I hope you enjoyed that interview with Nancy Peterson. What really strikes me about Nancy is that despite her incredible success, she remains humble. She is so smart and she is generous in terms of sharing her insights, not just regarding consumer reviews, but also entrepreneurship and a lot of other topics. You can check her out at nancypeterson.ca. Now, as always, I thank you so much for listening. I know your time is valuable. In this episode, we covered many pointers in terms of writing and interpreting online ratings and reviews. You can easily reference them in the show notes at talkabouttalk.com forward slash podcasts. I also hope you will sign up for the Talk About Talk weekly newsletter. This is your opportunity to receive concise weekly emails from me, highlighting what I think is worth talking about. My goal is to help us all become more effective communicators. That's it. Thanks again. And talk soon. Talk soon.